Hello, tennis fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Tennis Attic Podcast. This is your podcast by the fans, for the fans. I'm your host, Michael, and with me is Eric and Michael, of course. Hello. Hey, everybody. So it's, uh, of course, another week gone by, another big week in tennis, right? Another huge clay court event, this one being Rome, the one before Roland Garros. And, uh, well, <laughs> I think we were wrong about... Well, we were wrong about a lot of stuff, but certainly we were wrong about who was going to win the tournament and uh, turned out to be a very unlikely winner. But before we get into all of that, I think we should probably do the news first. So why don't we do a quick rundown uh, as to some of the things that have been coming out of the tennis world in the last week. So pro- a lot of stuff well, has come out in the tennis world in the last week. There's been a lot. The last couple of days. Right. Yeah, you know. even just in the last couple of days. It's uh, been a big blow up of news. Yeah. So the first one is Djokovic hires Andre Agassi to coach him at Roland Garros. And they said they're going to see where it goes. So I guess, you know, the rumors were right. You know, we we heard that Agassi. I guess we didn't. You know, yeah, we didn't uh, podcast about this a little earlier. No. Thankfully. Yeah. So, I mean, we heard that it was a possibility, but we, you know, I think we all dismissed it. And for fairly good reason, you know, Agassi's children are still young enough. And I know his son is a, like a pretty big baseball prospect, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the idea that he would, you know, travel all over the world with, with Djokovic is something that I think most of us didn't think would be possible. And I still really don't think that that's going to be the case. In fact, I know... I read uh, a quote from Djokovic where he said he's not going to even gonna, he's not going to stay for the whole tournament. So I guess I'm going to open this up to you guys, uh, Eric. Give me your your uh, opinion on all of this and what do you think this means for the French Open? And you know, do you think this is a long term thing, or do you think this is going to be like just at the Slams kind of event consultancy thing that we talked about last week? I think it's probably going to be more of a consultancy thing. At this point, I mean, like you said, I don't think Agassi is going to – he's not going to go tournament to tournament. And I don't think that's what Djokovic needs. <clears throat> I think Djokovic needs uh, someone to help motivation and someone to give him – I'll say tips and tricks because it's not the right words, but that's what I'm going to go with – on uh, you know what he needs to do in his game to so he can get back to you know being a number one player in the world type caliber, even though Djokovic isn't – like, like everybody's saying, like Murray, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, you know, being number one isn't as big of a deal. It's winning the titles. So I think you're going to see Agassi basically at the slams. You might see him in a Masters here or there, but more or less, the only thing that matters to these guys anymore is the slams, and that's where he's going to uh, need him. Now, he may talk with him. He's probably going to talk with him. I'm sure Agassi's going to watch his matches and stuff like that, you know, from home. And you can basically see about everything you need to from the TV as you do do in person anymore. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be good for him. I don't think it's going to change drastically the way Djokovic has been playing. I think it'll up his game a bit, though, from where he's been playing now. Just I mean, you, you could talk to some random guy off the street and would probably play better than he's been playing lately. Um, so I think it's going to help him a bit. I don't think he's going to win the French Open just because he has Agassi. But I think it uh, it's a step in the right direction. And like he said, I think they're going to see what what happens, you know, from here on out. Because Djokovic himself said, he's only spoken with him for about the last two weeks. They don't know each other 
that well. So this is more of an experiment. I think Djokovic isn't <clears throat> worried about... Um, I don't think Djokovic is, is, is as worried about defending his title with the French as he is fixing his game for the long term. Because it'd be too much to ask of Agassi to say, hey, can you help me you know, retain my title? That I don't think Agassi would take the job if that's what he expected. So I think this is like a slow, kind of a slow-moving thing, you know, piece by piece. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm feeling the same way with that in that um, as good as Agassi is, as great a mind as he has, I just don't at this point see one way or the other the uh, in any term uh, being any expectations here that Agassi will be able to fix his game in the short term uh, when it comes to Roland Garros. Um, we've seen a little bit of a flash in Rome last this last week um, of what we've seen out of Djokovic before, but I still don't think by any means he's uh, there. He was very volatile in the final against Zverev. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, I believe he had a code violation um for profanities on court yeah um and i think that he was given a stern look another time about it uh he was um he was all over the place emotionally in the final uh and i mean when we've seen him at the top of his game that's that's not the case when he's been at the top of his game he's been as steely as as nadal and federer usually are emotionally on court um when it comes to you know showing negativity they just don't do it. Uh, Djokovic for a while, I think, was that way, but obviously now he's struggling to keep those emotions in check. Uh, he knows his game is not where it needs to be. Not taking anything away from Alexander Zverev, he played really well this week um, and, and broke out like we have been anticipating for a while. But um, as far as far as the Agassi thing goes, though, um, I I don't know if it's going to fix anything necessarily. I think the only thing that it'll be able to do maybe is uh, if Andre can get him to focus just a little bit better. I think that's the biggest thing for him now is uh, he was able to you know block things out previously, where now uh, every little thing is seemingly able to bother him on court um, and get him worked up. Or you know if he plays one bad service game, it can throw throw him off for three or four games. Where before you play a bad game, you go on to the next one. That's what you have to do. Uh, that's the mentality you need to have. But uh, he hasn't had that. So I think, uh, I mean, Agassi has the mind to be able to do it. Whether uh, they're going to be able to have some kind of positive impact, um, what, in less than a month's time from the time they start talking until, you know, the French has started and we're into the tournament, um, well, it remains to be seen. Mm hmm. Okay, so my take on this is it's basically, you know, the same as you guys. You know, this is going to be a work in progress. I think any coaching, you know, uh, any any time you get a new coach coming on board of a team, or in this case, you're talking about like a single solitary uh, coach, just because it's a big name doesn't mean that they're going to mesh with the tennis player, right? We like remember a few years ago. Remember when Jimmy Connors and Maria Sharapova teamed up? How long did that last? Wasn't some kind of like almost like a record or something for the least amount of time together? <laughs> something like was it like a week, ten days maybe? 
It was some ridiculously yeah. short period of time. And now that's an extreme example. But the point is, you know, just because you're a big legend doesn't mean that a great player and a great legend are going to mesh. It has to be the right, uh, the right time. It has to be the right personalities, the right temperaments. Because, you know, if you bring on somebody who is really brash and it doesn't mesh with your personality, you're not going to get very much work done. Now, in this case, I wouldn't, I guess, anticipate too much problem in that area in general. So I'm not worried about that. Uh, but I agree with what you guys said. It's going to be a slow process. You know, it's going to be different than the Moya Nadal process, where I think that it was it's a lot quicker. It has been a lot quicker because Nadal and Moya know each other so well. They've been friends for for many many years, uh, so they kind of got they kind of hit the ground running. You know when they they got together. You know there was already a plan in place, I think, uh, and you know already some strategies that were being discussed before the official announcement. So, you know, I think that they had a, a bit of a jump in that direction. With Agassi and Djokovic, I think, like you said, Eric, he's going to talk to him. He's going to watch his matches from home. And I think ultimately he's simply going to provide some advice and kind of ground Djokovic, anchor him emotionally somehow so that when he's on the court, he's able to do what he needs to do without – you know, succumbing to the you know, extreme bouts of emotion, which he seemed to be dominating his game. And look, we've seen this before. We saw Nadal deal with this a couple of years ago, right? I mean, he was a mess on the court. You know, he, he couldn't, he was shaking. He was hitting balls, spraying balls left and right. He couldn't keep his, his nerves under control. Uh, so if you're a Nadal fan, then you know full well what this is like. So in this case, I mean, I can sympathize. I sympathize with Djokovic because I've seen Nadal struggle with that as well. So I guess we can just, you know, in Djokovic's case, you just hope for the best and, you know, wish him good luck. And hopefully the partnership, you know, yields some positive results. So, all right. Um, moving on to the next subject here. We've got Maria Sharapova was not awarded a wild card for Roland Garros and... She's not going to seek a wild card at Wimbledon. She's going to go through qualifying to make the draw. So what are your guys' reaction? Michael, you go first. Uh, what's your reaction on this uh, announcement by the uh, French uh, Federation of Tennis? Uh, I think we were all kind of surprised. Uh, I think that our consensus kind of was there for a while that, yeah, does she deserve a wild card? No, but yeah, of course the French Federation is going to give her one because – it's Maria Sharapova. She's a two-time champion at Roland Garros. Um, I've I, I've talked to a, a couple of people um, in their opinions of that on on this, and um, one of them stated that they were they were quite surprised that she didn't get one. Um, we we've kind of all put our stand on this as to how we feel, but um, I, I've I I took a very harsh stand, and so I agree. With what uh, the French Federation did, uh, just because I feel like that there should be um, no preferential treatment whatsoever to this, um, which is what's happening. Um, I actually, um, I actually have a little bit of respect for Sharapova now more than I, I did maybe a week ago, uh, and I used to be a pretty big fan of hers. But I, I like that she's taking the route of saying, "All right." I hear what everyone's saying. I hear that everyone is angry uh, and lashing out about you know what has happened with me. 
and I'm just going to start fresh and work my way in. Um, Eric and I were just talking before the podcast started um, about her getting into Roland Garros and the fact that her her ranking is just, uh, we believe, just a tad bit too low uh, for her to even qualify to get into qualifying for Roland Garros. Otherwise, uh, she can try to do that here. But as far as uh, Wimbledon goes, I do believe that she'll be high enough come that time that uh, she'll be able to get into uh, the qualifying at Wimbledon. So, again, I, I look at it as a positive and I look at it as a rebuilding aspect for her, not only for her ranking, but as far as her character um, in the tennis community right now because she's, she's probably not one of the most liked people <laughs> at this point. And I think that this is a big thing for her, a step forward of showing to everyone that, all right, I I will start from the bottom then. I will go through qualifying. I won't even ask for a wild card. I'm just going to work my way into the tournament like anybody else would, which uh, to me uh, garners a little bit of respect back uh, for me towards her. Uh, Eric, your thoughts on that? Uh, I look at it kind of similarly, but I also look at it as she's trying to save face for. Her well, image. I mean, you could say that too, but I, I'm I'm trying to be positive here. Now. Well, yeah, no, no, I don't, but no, I, I agree. That's one way to look at it. I look at it is I think she's you know obviously seen the outcry of uh, both both tennis fans and tennis players alike, um, even former players, you know, saying about some some are with her, saying she deserves it. Uh, you know, some saying that she shouldn't. And I think, you know, the negativity of the press and everything, it, it doesn't just harm her in one way. I mean, you're looking at when you're in the news all the time about getting wild cards in the tournaments, it sponsors, it doesn't do well for things like that. So you're talking a money aspect. I think it was a smart decision. Absolutely. Um, it's what she needed to do to try to get in the French Open anyway. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Not the French. I was thinking woman there for a second. But it's what she needs to do anyway for her image, not just take them. You know, take the ball because it's different from um, <clears throat> someone who comes back from, say, something like a pregnancy or an injury, you know, um, where they'll get awarded wild cards or protected rankings, things like that. But I think with her, it's a step in the right direction. And you're right. She didn't have, you know, people liked her before, but she had a lot of people not like her. I didn't like her because the screaming was highly annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's the thing most people know Sharapova by. Oh, she's the really loud person on court and don't get me wrong serena's loud sometimes too but not every ground stroke um so i think it's a, it's a decision that she probably didn't like to make it first because she wants to come back to win you know and if you can get a wild card why go through qualifiers and get a wild card but at the end of the day i think like you said she just decided it's probably the best course of action and um i think it'll benefit her in the long run especially like you said, getting some respect, I think that is going to get her some respect. Not a lot. It's not going to bring her back to where she was, but it's definitely a step in the right direction for her. Yeah, uh, I agree pretty much with everything both of you said there. I, I get uh, why she's doing it. I, I think it's a smart choice. I think you're right. She's seen the public outcry, and she's seen the outcry within, the, you know, when you're talking about just fans, you can probably tune it out. But when you're talking about your peers, the people that are around you in the locker room all the time, that's a different story. You know, you may not, you may go out there and face each other, but you want to at least have some monochrome of respect for one another. 
you know, and, and if they're not able to look at you in the eye or you, because, you know, not because they're afraid to, but because they just don't want to, because they don't have any respect for you because they feel like you're kind of gaming the system. Uh, that's not good. You know, you want to go out there and fight each other on equal terms and, you know, just as competitors. So I think with Sharapova, I think the smart thing is for her to, you know, she should have done this from the get go really is what she should have done. She should have come out and said, I'm going to just start doing qualifiers. Uh, I'm not going to ask for preferential treatment. Uh, and she should have just, if she just started that from the beginning, I think a lot of people will be singing a different tune. Um, but she didn't. And I think it has harmed her. Uh, not significantly, but you know, it's had an impact. Like you said, Eric, businesses, fans in general and she's always had an issue with people not liking her and the screaming is part of it but i think she's always had a little bit of an icy demeanor to her she's very serious very very you know her on-court attitude is one of just pure aggression and i think she has a hard time connecting in a lot of ways to fans would Um, you say her name's yvonne lendl you know what? You know what? I like that. She is. She. I thought you would. She, I thought you would. She is the Yvonne. If the female Yvonne Lendl, uh, there's no doubt. That's a perfect analogy. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, because you know, Lendl had that problem. He couldn't connect with people because he, he was Lendl. He stone face. So, um, you know, I think that's always been a little bit of a problem for her on that as well. So. You know, you're already kind of playing from behind right there, but then you tack on all this and it just, it really put her way back there. So uh, good for her to start doing this and, and hopefully, like you said, she'll, she'll, she'll turn it around, I'm sure. And in six months, eight months, you know, this is all going to be in the past and it'll just be about the future. So, all right, so we have one more thing here before we get into the, our room Rome review, and that is that Victoria Azarenka has announced her intentions to uh, play at Wimbledon. She's she's targeting Wimbledon uh, this year. I think we all thought maybe she wasn't going to come back to the U.S. Open, but she must be making some pretty good progress after her pregnancy to be able to target Wimbledon at this point. So... Yeah, Michael, what did you think about this? Super excited to hear this. Uh, cool. Azarenka. You always were a fan of Azarenka. I, I'm a huge fan of Azarenka. I like her always have been. Um, I've, we all, I believe all of us got to watch her play yep. at the U.S. Open mm-hmm. that year yeah, that we all went together. Um, so appreciation of being able to see her play as well. But um, always been a huge fan of hers. I'm super excited to hear this. Um, I, I think that she... She's anticipating the return as much as the fans are. Uh, you can tell, um, you know, in, in articles and interviews that she's done um, in the media. And um, she basically has been ecstatic about getting back out on court as soon as possible. Um, obviously, I think it's a, a major impact to the game, getting her to come back, um, especially uh, with her biggest rival, Serena Williams, not being around uh, for the same reason that uh, Azarenka was out uh, due to pregnancy. So uh, I look at this as a time where there's still a lot of instability in the women's game, although there's a lot of up-and-coming players that are starting to uh, make the draws very treacherous to get through, which I think is one reason why we've seen so many 
upsets uh, in the last few months in the women's game. Uh, but I, I look at her as a, a stalwart, a veteran of the of the game that's going to be able to come in and make an immediate impact in a draw, much the way that uh, we've seen Del Potro come back recently uh, from his injuries and been a factor in you know most big matches that he had. Uh, he hasn't exactly gone away in those matches. It's It's been very competitive. So I, I hope to see her come back and have the same impact that he has had, come back and, and uh, you know, make a splash immediately on tour. Um, I agree with you, Mike. I, I wasn't 100% sure on what I've read. I, I thought that she was maybe planning on getting back before Wimbledon to get a tune-up event, but I don't know if that's the case yet or not. I, I couldn't get a definitive answer in my readings that I've done. Uh, in, in the news that I've read, so uh, Eric, your thoughts, uh, your thoughts on Azarenka coming back? I think it's it's really exciting because you know she accomplished a bit. She's a two-time Australian Open champion. You know she could have hung it up from there. I'm sure. You know she's uh, been smart enough where she wouldn't have needed the money anymore. But it's nice that someone you know still has the drive to win. And I think honestly, I think a lot of this has to do with. Um, the uh, the Belgian oh God. Kim Kleisters. That's it. Because I wanted to, <laughs> wanted to say Justine Henning, but I knew it wasn't her. Um. Uh, yeah. I wanted to, that it was uh, Kim Kleisters. You know, she just she proved that you can come back, and she won more Grand Slams before she uh, after she had a son and before she did. Yeah. Um. Actually, daughter. Yeah, daughter. Um. So, and I I think that set a precedent, and and everybody's like, okay, so you know, having a kid isn't the end of the world for an athlete. You know, you can get your body back in shape enough that you can, you know, play for and win Grand Slams. And and I, don't get me wrong, I like Kim Kleisters and everything, but between her, Serena Williams, and Azarenka, Serena Williams and Azarenka are going to be able to come back and win more Grand Slams than Kleisters did, too. Now, uh, Serena's a little older, and I don't know if she's going to have as much of a drive to come back. She says so now, but Azarenka's younger, um, and, you know, she's hungry here. <laughs> she's hungry for... Uh, you know, more more titles. I mean, Serena's tied for the most in the Open Era. No, she she beat him. Sorry. Uh, Australian, she uh, eclipsed Steffi Graf. Uh-huh. She's only got Margaret Court left to go. So maybe she does want to get that one or two more. I think Margaret Court is, what, 25, 26? Uh, 24, 20, I thought. 24. I believe 24. 24 for Court, yeah. Okay, so she's one more from tying Margaret Court. So she has 23. Yep. Right? Yep, correct. Okay. All right. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, she that, that could be her motivation to come back. So all, all I know is it's nice to see um, women come back after giving birth to a kid and, and playing, even if they don't, even if they don't win majors. It's just nice to see them get back to doing what they love to do. Uh, where a lot of people these days still believe that you know women's places here, or there, things like that. It's nice to see women prove prove them wrong and say, you know what, I can have a kid, I can come back and still beat your ass. Okay, so. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree. You know, it's just great to see Azarenka, <laughs> you know, on her way back. It's it's great to see her fighting and continuing to to live her dream, which is you know playing tennis on the court. It's what she loves to do. She's said that many many times in the past. So I just applaud her for putting forth the effort because you know what, you have a kid, and you know it's it's a lot of hard work to get back into the kind of shape 
you know, just to get back into shape, but then to get into the kind of shape that's required for a tennis player is an entirely different level. Uh, so to do that, it's great to see. I applaud her for it, and I, for one, can't wait to see her on the tennis court. So uh, go Azarenka. Really excited. Uh, this will be great. A uh, few weeks here, we'll be seeing her on the Wimbledon courts, hopefully. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Real quick before we move on. How about this compelling storyline? Now, this could only be wishful thinking. Uh, first round of Wimbledon, Azarenka and Sharapova in the first round. Oh, God, it could happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, with, with Sharapova going through qualifying, who knows where she will end up. Yeah. Um, and, and Azarenka will obviously have the protected ranking, so, I mean, that could be... No, it'd, could be, be a, it'd be second round, because uh, the seeded players don't normally get wild cards... They would get. Uh, yeah. Oh no, they'll get qualifiers. She couldn't get her. No, yeah. they'll get qualifiers yeah. because Sharapova yeah, will be we'll, a qualifier. We'll get, we'll so, get a wild card. so you could put Sharapova basically against any of the top ten players in yeah. the rankings, uh-huh. first round. Exactly. So I mean, there's there's a lot of big storylines to come for Wimbledon. Although that's a little bit in the future. So uh, we'll get back to the red clay here for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, one more announcement before we move on to our Rome review. Uh, this is totally. Well, it's not totally unrelated. It's related to tennis. But there's a new tennis game that's going to be coming out next year called uh, World Tour Tennis. Or is it ten- – no, it's Tennis World Tour. Sorry. Um, it's it's by uh, I think Big Ben Studios and the team that's working on it is the same team that did the Top Spin series. The creative director for Top Spin and a lot of the guys that worked on that particular title for 2K Sports are now on this team. You know, we've been – I've been – a huge fan for years. I still have uh, Topspin 4. I play it uh, often. So for me, it's kind of a big deal. I'm waiting for a next-gen tennis title for a long time. The last tennis game to come out was 2012, right? So that was f- five years ago. So this is kind of a big deal. won't be out till next year, though. So probably around this time next year, around the, the French Open, Wimbledon would be my guess. So uh, just keep an eye on that if you're a tennis fan. Uh, and you're especially if you're a tennis fan who also likes to play tennis games because you know that's going to be a big deal i think it's going to be coming out for uh, xbox i believe playstation and pc so there you go mike how is this the first we're hearing about this from it you? literally just came out like two days ago so i that's two days ago though you could have told us two days ago well, you know it's waiting for i mean wait- i mean we're anticipating this too you're just up on these things a little bit better than we are so you know what it was shame on you for holding out on us you know what it was and this is all this is no joke i, I search like maybe once a month i type in tennis you know tennis game ps4 in google just to see if anything pops up and i did it and then like within the last four hours when i typed that in they had posted this so it was just luck really that I did it when I did. So, lies, all dirty lies. Holding <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, information. All right, so let's move on to Rome, guys. Here, uh, so we have uh, the road to the finals. We have the road to the finals for Djokovic. Road to the finals for Zverev. So let's start out with uh, let's start out with Djokovic's road to the finals. We got some notable matches here too, but what did Djokovic have to do in order to get to the finals? Who did he face? <clears throat> Nobody. Well, well, I don't want to say nobody. I mean, in my opinion, um, I mean, he had to go through Batista Goot, who is a good clay court player, but by no means the best. Um, he had to beat Del Potro in a rain delay, um, yeah, which obviously are. the second set was much 
much more of a problem uh, being that uh, after the rain delay, Del Potro came out and played much better. Um, then he had and, team. Then, and, then, and then he had uh, team. Um, I think all of our opinions and the discussions that we've had, team, I think, was a little bit off team. that day and a little bit out of gas yeah. uh, coming into that match. Um, I got more to say about that. Yeah, I, I know. I know. You, I, we have a lot to talk about about that, uh, that scoreline, uh, 6-1-6-0 for Djokovic over team the day after team beats Nadal. Uh, in straight sets in, in a very similar fashion. Uh, score lines are a little different, but I think we all agreed that it was a similar fashion uh, for the reasons behind the losses for Nadal and for team the following day. Um, but uh, And then, of course, Novak got to the final where he met a, uh, a German brick wall in oh, yeah. the final. Uh, all credit to Alexander Zverev. Okay. And what did Zverev have to do? What was his road to the final? Uh, well, I mean, the first round was, uh, you know, a little more difficult than Djokovic because Djokovic had a qualifier where, uh, Zverev had to play Victor Troiki and he's a very streaky guy, you know, not bad on clay, not great on clay, but he's a little bit like Fognini, not as good, but like Fognini where he can, you know, catch fire and he's definitely worth up, you know, able to upset people. After that, he played Fabio, who's <laughs> the one who downed Murray. I um, called it. Yeah, I do, called it. I called who, that. Who, who down Murray and played? I it, it harkens me back to like the O four Federer, the way Fognini was hitting lines, dictating. It was it was a masterful display, and I think it has a little bit to do with Fa, uh, Fabio. Uh, his uh, baby was about to be born. Flavio Panetta was pregnant. She actually had the baby yesterday, the day before. Yeah, it was um, very recent, within the last couple of days. Yeah. So I think he was extra motivated to, you know see what we can do take out murray murray didn't play particularly well either but even then it would have had to take in a really resurgent murray old form murray to to take out uh fognini so anyway so alexander zverev goes through fognini beats him 6363 it was a good match uh then zverev plays raunich who raunich has been getting better but my opinion zverev is still much more accomplished clay court player 7661 the second set it, it seemed like raunich just kind of quit ish he gave up a little bit he get yeah up. he knew it was, it was gonna be a mountain to climb uh zverev runs into a six foot ten inch monster server uh does take him to three sets however much like what happened uh against roundage isner kind of fell apart not that he quit but his serve fell apart and third set isner didn't have a single ace against Zverev. Which is surprising because in the previous round, uh, Isner threw down like 28 aces or something against Chilich well, in he, the previous round. It wasn't even, even in the previous round. I mean, it, the, the thing about the match was Zverev serving this week has been... Su- he was sublime. amazing this it's week. It's sublime. He yeah. had 12 aces on Isner and Isner only had 8 aces on, on, on Zverev. Now, I'll say this. Zverev stands back really far like yeah they Nadal. said they said in that match i didn't see much was, of it but they said he was against the back wall he was where nadal was he was in the back yeah. wall uh to return his yeah. nurse he was which, in a, he was in nadal was now the, the difference between him and nadal is the 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 kilometers per hour that he returned serve it's like the 120s 130s in the first and second serve whereas <laughs> most people are a lot slower so he here's another thing too that. in that match is averov's height Will help negate him against Isner's big kick serve oh, six, six. because he's got the size to negate that, which most guys do not. Mm-hmm. So he can get the ball up on them very quickly, whereas Averov was able to, you know, disrupt that. But uh, yeah. So it before was... we continue, though, guys, 
we got to give a little bit of a clap to John Isner making it to a semifinal yeah. of a clay court tournament. Yep. Oh yeah, it's, it's nice to see an American actually get that deep in a uh, quality draw on on clay. Yeah, because Isner did take Isner didn't you know just beat a bunch of nobodies. He, he beat re- Stan and Chilich. Yeah, he beat Stan and Chilich. Um, <laughs> so it's definitely and not even before that, even before Stan and he Chilich. beat Florian Meyer, uh, who's a, a pretty decent clay court player. Yeah, yeah, he's not a slouch. So it was a good good run by John. Uh, it gives him some confidence. He's playing this week in Lyon. Actually, him, Stan, and Ishikori are playing right now yeah. um, in, that, in the little 250 tournament. But anyway, so Zverev meets Djokovic in the final, um, beats him pretty soundly. The score line made it look closer than it actually was. So I think so. Yeah. It really, it really well, was. Well, um, uh, well, before we get into the final, because uh, I know you guys want to talk about that for a few minutes, why don't we quickly run over a few of the other matches here? I know there's some notable <clears> ones we want to talk about. So... Uh, which one do you, which one, is there one, Michael, you want to talk about, um, on, you know, in the draw in particular that isn't the Um, hmm. I mean, I, I, yeah, I messaged, mentioned it a little bit. Uh, Isner beating Chilich, um, in three. I mean, it was, uh, the two sets he won were in tie breaks. What a surprise. I know. Right. Um, but I mean, for the most part, uh, like I said, Isner, I believe dropped twenty some aces on Chilich in that match, which was very surprising. Um, but before that, even he, um, before that, even some of the wins, especially beating Stan, even serving serving bombs all tournament. Yeah, twenty one aces on Chilich, seventy five percent first serve percentage in the match. Um, when yes. you got Isner playing at that kind of level, serving that well. I'm surprised that he didn't win in straights against Chilich because Chilich didn't exactly serve particularly great um, in the match. But um, besides that, I mean, uh, you know, Isner with the victory over uh, Stan prior to that. Uh, and one that I actually missed, um, Del Potro upsetting Nishikori in straight sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked just a little bit. I, I brought him up uh, prior to, you know, earlier on in the podcast on uh, I'm always a huge fan of Del Potro, mm-hmm. and seeing him get a victory like that uh, is a big thing on clay against a guy like Nishikori. Now, granted, we've all said I, I still doubt that Nishikori is by any means healthy at this point. No, um, but I think he's on his way back. He's on his way back. I definitely agree, but I, I wouldn't exactly say that. Um, and I think we all want to talk about the Djokovic team match, but Eric, uh, you you and Mike, by all means, get some thoughts in here. Yeah, um, I'm I didn't gonna... want to point out the obvious match that yeah, I that, that I talk that about. I called. Yeah, by the way, you did, you did. I did. So <laughs> I'm going to bring up the the Nadal team match because I'm sure you uh, let you bring up the Djokovic team match, Mike. Uh, did you get to watch the Djokovic team match or no? Me? Uh, yeah. yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because I watched. I think we'll all have a little bit of input on that one. Yeah. yeah the, the Nadal team match um, was. It was a good match. It was a lot closer than it seemed. It, it, it all came down to breakpoint saved, um, and team just did a, a much better job uh, than Nadal did. Because you know Nadal had seven breakpoint chances on team. Only converted one. Team had eight, but converted four on the doll. And that was really about it. I mean, their return points um, were really close to percentages. You know, Nadal was a little bit lower than team, obviously, which leads to the breaks and, and such. But it wasn't a blowout. However, it was obvious during the match that, I mean, Nadal was, didn't say look tired because it's going to sound like it's an excuse, but. 
he said himself afterwards, and no one likes to bring up an excuse, but you could tell that it just wasn't the same Nadal. It felt like the matches were getting to him. He was worn down physically. I mean, if this was 10 years ago, five years ago, um, I think it would have played differently, you know, back when he had more stamina. Being 30 years old, winning three tournaments in a row, playing a tournament he shouldn't have played in. I think he should have taken off to rest, but making it to team a person who's beaten twice but has made the scrolling closer each each time had a game plan on oh, what to do next and i don't think the doll was ready for the game plan i think team was playing really well he was hitting spots uh and i think he just played better obviously than the doll but then obviously after that i think team uh didn't run out of gas uh because it didn't look like he ran out of gas against Djokovic. it just looked like he was pushing and pressing um, because he was hitting just as hard. They just kept landing out. Right. And not by a lot, but we're talking three to five inches. And um, I'll let you go on that, but I just, I'll let you talk about Djokovic. Okay. Okay. Well, I was my my brief thoughts. And I just want to ask you a quick question, Eric, before I move into Djokovic here. So what do you think the game plan was in your view in that Nadal match, like what did team do differently in the match against Nadal this time around? Now, you know, cutting away any tiredness Nadal may have been in, you know, because like I said, don't want to use that as excuse, but obviously team had a game plan which worked, and he did he did some things differently. What did he do in this match that allowed him to get that win? Well, he didn't do much different. That's the thing. Nadal, it's what Nadal did differently. So Nadal, instead of the previous two times, Nadal was standing close to the baseline. This time, Nadal was standing about three to five meters back. So you're talking an extra 10 feet back. So I think Nadal being tired, or being physically tired or drained a bit, he likes to step back when he's nervous, when he's tired, or just not feeling it. He stands really far back. And the problem is, is he doesn't always hit get good hits yeah. on the return of serve, being that far out. Because team has an insane second serve kicker. Okay, it, it the first set team had a higher first, a second serve winning percentage than he did a first serve. And it wasn't until the second set that Nadal finally zeroed in a little bit on that second serve. So I think a lot of it had to do with team played the same way because it was a really close score line the last time they played. That mm-hmm. was it was 7664. Six, yeah. When they mm-hmm. wanted mm-hmm. uh, in, in Madrid, mm-hmm. um, so it was really close. Not much team had to do different. Team was playing really well there, and it all was just playing a little bit better. But obviously, Nadal didn't have the same game plan or played the same because he stood. That the only thing I see really different is is he stood that far back, and then his um, his offense wasn't wasn't as, as strong. He wasn't able to dictate um, because by the time he got the ball back unless it was a really good shot team team was hitting as hard as he can basically so nadal was always on the defensive and could never really turn the points around so okay i think we're gonna see that change i don't think nadal you know is gonna go into rolling garros nine days rest i think he's gonna get back to he's probably gonna play pretty deep anyway at the beginning of the tournament because he's always nervous but i think if he plays someone like team or Djokovic, someone who can really give him issues like zverev I think he's going to stay close to the baseline like he was doing prior to this match. Okay. So I got a question for you, Mike. Yeah. Then. So you, you brought up about the, the game plan thing. Mm-hmm. So do you guys feel as though, you know, my, my thought from last week 
prior to the Rome tournament um, of guys getting ideas, do you feel as though uh, that had any factor in it? That it, the team had confidence going into the match? Well, I think he had confidence because he, he knew he was getting better. He knew that the, the score lines were getting progressively you know, closer and closer. So he could tell that he was making some progress uh, just in lieu of, you know, just the score lines. You know, he wasn't – like Barcelona, he got annihilated pretty much. Uh, you know, obviously Madrid, it was uh, much, much closer. So, you know, he knew coming in that he had the capability. Yeah, he probably knew deep down he needed to have a few things go right for him in order to win. Which he did. But Which he did. He did. Yeah. But I think that was just, you know, he just – he knew he had a chance. He knows he has the ability. But, you know, it takes it takes time and adjustments in order to get those uh, those big wins. So, yeah, I think that's that's really it. So I think it took a lot out of him, too. It did. Well, yeah, I mean, we we said all three of us after the match was over that even I said and we all said that the doll obviously was not quite at the top of his game for that match. Uh, and, And did you have anything to add on the match, Mike? No, I mean, I mean, I can move on to the Djokovic team match. Well, or, that was what I was yeah. interluding to was um, I think we all kind of had the same slight idea with, with Djokovic's effort over team. Although Djokovic was basically playing lights out off the ground. I don't want to say, well, I don't even want to say lights out. I no, actually he don't, wasn't doing anything He wasn't, he, it, it, team was just overhitting on every well, ball. okay. Um, yeah. Let, let, let yeah. him, yeah. Well, let, well, let here, him yeah, go ahead, Mike, go ahead. Here's the one thing that I saw. And it's it's the difference between uh, okay. I mean, let's not get into minutia here. But the one thing that Djokovic did do that Nadal didn't do, Eric, and you alluded to this was Nadal played much further back, and whereas Djokovic's hit point uh, ground strokes was up on the line, he was you know within a foot or two behind the baseline, and he stayed there the whole match. And like Nadal did the previous time, right? And that was the problem with what Nadal did in, the, in his match. Because the problem is, if Nadal is tired or he's not quite as confident or whatever the reason might be, and he starts standing further back, if he starts hitting those balls and they're hitting, you know, inside the service box or on the service box, the line, unless he's able to get a big, huge bounce off of them. All team had to do was step into the court and just tee off of every forehand and backhand that he wanted to, which is pretty much what he did. Unless Nadal got some serious depth on those shots, uh, but the further he stands back, the more likely it is that he's going to start hitting balls well inside, you know, the court. And you know, unless it's a really hot, arid day where the ball is going to really bounce up high. Players are going to just stand inside and just start ripping balls left and right. And team can do that. He has the capability. He has the power. And he has the ground strokes. Whereas with Djokovic, Djokovic was standing up on the baseline and he was not allowing team to push him back. And so team started to go for more. He started to try to hit flatter shots. He started to try to, I don't want to say maybe not quite redline it, but he wasn't that far off. He was trying to intimidate Djokovic I think early on in that match he wanted to go out there he wanted to start ripping big winners start getting you know feeling it hitting big winners you know shocking Djokovic off the court problem was it wasn't working and by the time he got halfway through that first set and he was already down and Djokovic was was cruising and I think at that point 
he just started to get a little desperate and desperation, of course, often leads to, well, we saw what it led to. So, you know, that, that pretty much yeah. is what I think it was. Djokovic stayed up on the baseline, Nadal didn't. And while that isn't the only reasons that led to a win or the loss on either cases, I think it did contribute on either direction. Oh, it did, obviously, yeah. because you saw what team was overcooking it. Yeah. Team was getting frustrated and was trying to push. He was trying to hit through Djokovic. Yeah. yeah. Just completely Which, hit through him. Yeah. And and you don't need to hit through Djokovic to beat him. You can stretch, stretching Djokovic out to his forehand side um, is what gets you errors from Djokovic. And that's what, t- that's what Zverev is getting from him. So I think, you know, team second serve won two. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yep. Two out of 13 points on second serve. Djokovic was standing up. Even though he's got that great kicker, Djokovic is standing up, moving inside the court, and taking that second serve inside the baseline, catching it early, and team was out of sorts, out of place almost every time, and that allowed Djokovic to dictate the point instead of being team. So it was one of those, uh, Djokovic played it smartly, but Djokovic didn't play well. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think he played great by any no, means at I think all. He, I agree. He uh, the scoreline made it look like... He was playing amazing. Yeah. But in watching the match, I I you let team by like himself. the by like the th- by like the fourth game of that match, <clears throat> I think team just threw the game plan out the window. Maybe even after the third game, uh, once he was down, I think he pretty much just threw it out the window and literally just fired it full blast on every single shot. And he wasn't missing by much though. No. In a lot of those shots, it was just that. He was just overcooking everything just a little bit, and it, it, I think it just allowed Djokovic to relax so much that he never had to go for anything. No, because all he had to do was play. Yeah, all all Djokovic had to do was basically stand back there, be consistent, and don't go for too much. And that was pretty much all he needed for that to even you know for him to stay in that match. And team pretty much beat himself uh, at that point. So. And I think that, you know, leading into the, the final, I think that's the biggest difference as to what Zverev didn't do. Zverev, I think, was very, uh, very uh, lax. I don't think he ever at any point went for too much. And I think, like you said, Eric, he did a really good job of pulling Djokovic or on the, or all around the court, yeah. whether it be backhand side or forehand the backhand... side. I think that was his best thing is that Zverev was patient and moved him around mm-hmm. the court. And took his shots when he needed to. Exactly. Because the backhand up the line was punishing Djokovic. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of like... I think that's the biggest thing is that Zverev's so good off both sides mm-hmm. that he has the ability to do damage off both sides and can move you around with both sides of the, you know, where team was just missing everything. And the round before that, we still know Del Potro doesn't have a backhand. So he can't well, hurt you with that. So Djokovic can kind of sit on the forehand side uh, of Del Potro and be able to at least deflect that. To some extent, so... And, and it helped as Verve was, like I said, that stats. Verve was returning Djokovic's serve. Even though he's decently far back, he put a lot of pace on him. And while Djokovic is one of the best at redirecting pace, he was that far back. And Zverev is very fast. For being 6'6", he, Great doesn't, mover. he doesn't need to cover a lot of ground to be able to get to the ball, being that long of arms. Yep. So, um, it just... It, it's, and his serve was on point. He didn't face a break point. That's when, amazing. Against when, Djokovic, yeah, when not one break point. Djokovic not get a break point, plus seven aces on Djokovic. So I think it was, I think team was kind of like a false 
let's say a false win, but it made Djokovic look a lot better than he was. I don't think Djokovic played much different himself between the three matches. He played a little bit better in, with Del Potro against Del Potro, but even then, Del Potro's never been the best clay quarter versus the other people. So no. I think he played okay there. He played okay against team and let team beat himself. That was more of a just, that was just smart planning and playing. Uh, and then against Zverev, it's where it showed, okay, Zverev <laughs> wasn't trying for too much, you know, could return his serves, served a lot better than team by far was his strength was his serve. He won 84% of his first serve points, 69% of his second serve points. He only lost nine points on a serve the entire match. That's it. Nine. And serving at 71% for the match, which yeah. is really high exactly. for a big server so like you're, that. So you're talking the best returner, basically, almost in history, won nine points total. In a final. On a final over two sets against Zverev. So it, it was a lot more lopsided. 6-4, 6-3 says it was a lot closer, but it wasn't that, that close. Every game... Zverev was at least basically 30. He, 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 was, he was at 30 or 40 on on his, uh, on his on Djokovic's serve um, most of the time. And Djokovic's second serve was not doing anything. He only won 38%. Djokovic only won nine total second serve points. So <laughs> it was definitely, you know, he did well on the first serve, won 70% of them. But you're talking 15, Zverev won 13 points on Djokovic's first serve. And 15 points on his second serve. He won 28 points to Jerry Rich's nine on return to serve. Uh, yeah, I just want to mention <laughs> that this. That equates to an easy day. <laughs> I, want to me- I just want to mention this too because I, I feel like, Eric, you touched on this. But to me, the, the key to this whole match was uh, Zverev's second or Zavera's return on Djokovic's second serve. Uh, now, the first serve return itself was really good. But what I liked is that Zverev was taking a big cut on the second serves in particular. Now he wasn't going for broke necessarily. He wasn't trying to fire, you know, a winner, you know, scorching winner uh, to paint the line, uh, you know, for a winner. But he he was actually being a really aggressive because oftentimes I saw, you know, Djokovic would say, you know, hit uh, hit his second serve and maybe t- maybe uh, maybe Zverev would take it beforehand and rip it cross court and already. You know, Djokovic is flying over to get this ball back, and all we could do is kind of shovel it, you know, with a forehand shovel, and it barely gets across the net, and and the next shot, team put it away for a winner. And you kept seeing that over and over and over again, where, you know, even if Djokovic won the point, he was still on the defensive most of the time. And I think that that, that that was tough for Djokovic to handle. And I don't think he... He tried to figure out a way to get you know around that, but every every time, every second serve, it was rip, 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 you know, and it it worked. And admittedly, it wasn't a huge factor, but Zverev volleyed extremely well in that final. Yeah, he did a good job. Anytime he had a chance, he came in and he cut it off, and and there was nothing Djokovic could do because he was already so far stretched out wide or deep from the penetrating ground strokes that that uh, Zverev was imploring that. Basically, you know, when, when Djokovic was just, you know, smacking something back over there just to get it back over, Zavera was doing an amazing job of closing it off and, and finishing it net. And, you know, even with Djokovic's speed, you're not going to get to that. So 
Um, I just think, you know, a clap is deserved for Zverev. He played uh, a through-and-through match in a very big match. Granted, we've all said that Djokovic is still not playing at his best, but the fact is this is still Djokovic in a Master Series final against a guy who, although we've said he's there, he's he's one of those next guys, wasn't totally proven yet is that he could handle the big stage and I mean, in my opinion, it says he is good enough on clay at this point to compete with the top guys, especially when he's as confident as he is right now and, and playing with what seemed like a very sound strategy from from a young guy, which is impressive. Yeah, I, I think that what's really impressive, too, with Zverev is his progress this clay court season. You know, he started out Monte Carlo. You know, yeah, his birthday was that week, right? So, I mean, that was probably a factor. But, you know what, overall, I think he did an impressive job over the course of the weeks, you know, in order to, you know, progress further and further as a, as a player on clay. Because, you know, he's still a young guy. He's not someone who knows you know, what to do all the time on a clay court tennis. I'm sure it's still a learning process for him, you know, but to go into a final, because it's so many players, even if Djokovic wasn't playing well, you're still in the final of a Masters 1000 tournament. It's still a big deal. And yet he went in there like cold-blooded. He went in there like a cold-blooded assassin and Djokovic couldn't do anything about it. It was he was just overpowering. It reminds me of when Safin took out Sampras at the US Open. Was it Mike, was that two thousand one that Safin took him out in the uh, final? Or was it two thousand? Might have been two thousand. It was right around there, but yeah. you're right. Yeah. He went out there. Yeah, that, it was yeah. very, very similar. I agree. Yeah, because it was I like agree. a it was like a it was really crazy. It was like a six three Six two six one. It was a not yeah. Because it, it was a thrashing, yeah. and it was something to behold to see Sampras get annihilated like that. Yeah. So that kind of reminds me of that, where, like you said, the the score line in this match didn't really indicate how dominant Zverev was this in this final. Um, great comparison, Mike. That was that was a great comparison. Thank you. So uh, I guess if that's it, you guys, any other thoughts before we move on to the women? I mean, I guess I congrats to Zverev. He's twenty years old, right? He, yeah, yeah, I mean, can know. we officially say that he's he's here now? Well, can we uh, can we classify him? Yeah, I know it might be stretching it a little bit, but can we classify him as uh, even possibly a dark horse for Roland Garros at this point? I can put him in a dark horse, but I wouldn't put him above Team or even Djokovic because I'm sure Djokovic. It's different when you get these Grand, Grand Slam winners play differently in Grand Slam, so you're gonna see. A different Djokovic come to the French Open. We we anticipate that <laughs> exactly. You know, he could crash out, uh, yeah, and then it, and then it, it'll be a mess. Yeah, he could crash out, but I'm expecting to see a different, um, a different uh, Djokovic. Now Zverev's going to have some confidence, and it's going to get him a long ways. But at the end of the day, it's going to be all about nerves. If he makes it to his semis, and who he plays, I think it's going to play. Nerves going to play a lot into it. Alrighty. Okay. So I guess that's it for the, the men's side. Let's move on to the women's side. Uh, so we have, of course, the, the two finalists here. So, Michael, since you are the, the master of women, would that be a good title for you? 
I think I think you're going a little far there, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Even 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 for my even for my mind, that's 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 really stretching things. But okay. but I'll take it. Okay. Sure, why not? Okay, Master of Women. Uh, so we have Svitolina making the final, right? And we also yeah, have. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited yeah. about that. I've been I've been high on her for a while, uh, and it's it's good to see her uh, uh, come through. Uh, we know that she's played well this year and getting to the final and a impressive victory in the final at that against Halep, who is been very much in form in the last few weeks okay so how did what was Svitolina's uh road to the final what were her matches in this uh tournament so uh i i will say uh maybe a little bit early on uh Svitolina's draw was not too difficult um although her first match that she played against cornet um obviously playing not in home court but you know she's comfortable on the clay uh six four seven six but a 13 11 tie break uh, in the second set for Svitolina to beat Cornet. So um, I, I don't want to say it was a really difficult match, but by all means, it, she, she had to work for it. Um, then she came out in the next match against Mona Barthel and, and didn't play too well in the first set, and then blanked Barthel 6-0, 6-0 in the second and third set. Um, so, I mean, we can see in the contrast there that, that Svitolina's game lends to uh, she can play absolute lights out, but then she can kind of go away a little bit. And I want to say that's very similar to Halep's game. Uh, I actually think that, that Svitolina's game, although I think she hits a little bit bigger than Halep, um, is very similar as far as their playing styles. They're both good off both sides. Um, they both got good forehands and backhands. They're both good at net. They have good movement. Um, so their game matches up very similarly, and and that's why I really like the final, how well it you know it went. But uh, Svitolina did take out uh, the second seed Pliskova, um, another long tiebreak, eleven nine in the second set there, um, and then we had an odd match uh, in the semifinal against Muguruza. Muguruza was up four one, um, and she called the trainer with a uh, apparent neck injury. Um, which was totally out of the blue. Um, I don't, I don't remember hearing anything uh, leading up to that match at all that that Muguruza was having any issues or anything like that. So, kind of a freak injury there. Um, obviously, it looked like Muguruza was in command at that point at four one. But I mean, obviously things could have changed. But uh, got to look at that as a little bit of a uh, a win, I guess, on Svitolina's part that. Uh, that Muguruza had to withdraw in the match, unfortunate, of course, um, and, and then getting into the final. Uh, Mike, do you want to do the uh, uh, Halep's Road? Oh, yeah, sure. All right. Um... So with Halep, let's see here. Okay, so she, she had to face a pretty good challenge early on with uh, uh, Sigmund. Uh, that, yeah, that was surprising. Uh, I, I I actually anticipated she was actually going to lose that early. It was uh, it was pretty good thrashing by Halep. Uh, I was it I was, was surprised by that uh, with a, with a six four six four win there. Next up was Pavlichenka, and uh, that was a, a tougher match for for Halep to get through. Uh, well, Pavlichenka has got the power to move her around the court. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and cause cause her to to have to employ some strategy, which she finally did in the third set. Right. Yeah. It was uh it was a six four, was it four six six zero win? Uh. So she then went into the next round, and 
had to face Katowice, who uh, has been playing really, really well lately, of course. And up and upset Kerber, who's still yep. playing horribly, as we all mentioned. Yep, uh, she did. And uh, again, this I thought was going to be a much tougher match. It didn't ultimately turn out to be that way. Uh, a 6-2, six, 6-4 six, scoreline uh, kind of indicated that Halep was really feeling it. You know, because Kontavit, she seems like one of those players. She's she's got some real game to her, um, but she's young, and I think she kind of wasn't she a bit of a, like out of nowhere with her. A little bit. You know? I mean, she's she's had a little bit of result in the last few weeks, I believe. But for the most part, um, you're right. She's she was just kind of out of nowhere. Um, I'm, again, I we've all said that you know we know that. Uh, Kerber is not playing well at all right now. Um, but she got not even a little. I mean, she's she's playing really bad mm-hmm. at this point. Um, but I mean, I. Uh, but coming back to what you said about Contavit, uh, she her win loss record is actually twenty nine and nine this season. Hmm. <laughs> That's a really good win loss record. It's a big turnaround. Now, now, now granted, now granted, um, you know, most of that's not in any big tournaments. But it the still, fact it is, still means it's a three to one win loss ratio. But though. the fact is, yeah, yeah. So um, I mean, Contavit is up to fifty second in the world uh, after this tournament uh, in Rome. So I mean, for her, uh, it's a big deal. I mean, she's not too far at this point out of being seated. Uh, nice. You know, heading into the to Roland Garros. So uh, go go ahead, Mike. No. Uh, then of course to get to the final. You know, uh, that was a, a four six uh, seven five six one scoreline there um you know it was a a good match i think the final uh but that was you know the whole road that halep took to get there and uh you know i think obviously in my opinion i think halep faced a stiffer road i think ultimately to get to the final uh i would agree i would agree to some extent she did yeah but fidelina you know, she went in there, and I think you know, even though it was a tough match, she played as she usually does with with no fear, and I think it made for a, a really great final. So, uh, Michael, what were your thoughts on the final here? Because I know you kind of, uh, you know, I've I've watched the final, but I feel like you're better at kind of analyzing <laughs> the ups and downs of uh, the women's game. I think. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was. Um... The two play a very similar style, as I said earlier. Um, they employ a lot of the same tactics as far as, uh, like I said, they're both both very good off of uh, forehand and backhand side. They're both pretty good at net. I mean, they, they know their way around the court, put it that way. They definitely have an all-court game. They're able to play successfully on any surface. But uh, for the most part, I would say uh, I feel like uh, I actually feel like Halep tired a little bit in the final, which was very surprising. Um, it, it seemed as though to me is though after she won the first set, she relaxed a little bit. Um, and Svitolina was able to basically uh, dict- start dictating a little bit more and was able to start changing the rallies uh, more in her favor as far as uh, you know being able to move Halep around. And not allow Halep to have any, not being able to dictate or or get Svinolina on the run early in points. It was kind of the reverse. The first two sets, uh, Halep, like I said, was able to move her around more in the first set, and was able to kind of be first strike tennis a little more than Svitolina. Where in the second set, Svitolina, I think, did the the exact you know uh, 
the exact reverse and was able to start taking points earlier. Um, the the biggest thing in the match um, for me though was Fidelina's return of Halep's serve. Um, obviously, we know Halep does not have a big serve. Svitolina's doesn't exactly have a big serve either, but she's a much better spot server, and she does have a little bit of pace to her serve. Um, and, and for the most part, it, it was difficult for Halep to, um, to be honest. If you look at the stat line, uh, the score line doesn't dictate what happened at all. Um, the stat line would actually say that Halep got destroyed. Looking at the stats, um, Halep won forty nine percent of her first serves and 45% of her second serves. How did she possibly go win the first set and go 7-5 in the second, winning less than 50% of your first and second serves? Were those stats through the did, first two sets, or was that for the whole match? Uh, no, that's, that's, the, that's the match stat. By the 6-1 scoreline so even if, in the third. But even with the 6-1 yeah. scoreline, yeah. for the entire match to finish at, at sub-50% first and second serves, um, credit to Halep for even staying in the match. Because, I mean, for the most part, that's that's bad. Uh, I mean, most players with that kind of stat, most players with that kind of stat really aren't going to be able to hang in a match. And like I said, Halep did a good job early on of, of staying out ahead and dictating early on enough that she, she eked out that first set. But like I said, from, from that second set, I, I think Svitolina pretty much took over at that point. And like I said, I feel like Halep was tiring a little bit in that in that match and I think that's why she pretty much totally went away in the third but still credit to to Svitolina for you know still staying the course and not uh, relaxing even though I, I'm sure that she noticed that Halep obviously wasn't you know her level had dropped significantly uh, in that third set but this just confirms two things for us one Halep is back I think mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion she's you know she's you know finally getting to the point where she's having confidence again. She's beating the players that she's supposed to beat and getting back to the big stages again that we saw her at for, what, a good three straight years there mm-hmm. where she was pretty much you know in the conversation mm-hmm. at every tournament. And I think a lot of times, uh, Mike, I think you had had her pegged to win Roland Garros a few years ago yeah, uh, when she made her run and, and just came up a little bit short. But um, in my opinion then, secondary, I think this brings uh, – Puts Fidelina in the same conversation, possibly, that Halep was in a few years ago. I think this cements her as uh, a, a definite contender for the uh, the women's crown at, at the French Open. Now, again, she is she's pretty young. Uh, maybe we're you know putting a little bit on her, uh, maybe a little too early. But I would actually uh, put her in the same conversation that we're putting Zverev in on the men's side as someone that could be very dangerous and possibly make a very deep run at, at Roland Garros. Especially on the women's side, because there's no real front runner right now. I there mean, isn't. You've got no. if if Sharapova never got uh, banned, I'm sure right now she would be a clear favorite because she would have been playing this entire time. As a rank is not back yet, but she's never been the greatest on clay. Serena's not here, so you don't have anybody who's particularly winning the same tournaments week in week out right now on clay. So it's kind of a crapshoot, in my opinion. I think it's gonna who's who's gonna survive the upset rounds, the first three rounds. Well, tell us gonna, a lot. Yeah, I think it's gonna who's gonna tell you a lot because I think whoever survives those, it doesn't get upset, is gonna you know hit a gear and then you're gonna start seeing them you dominate the people they should dominate, uh, as opposed to it, it just being random 
uh, random people throughout. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens on the women's side because it's been exciting this year because you can't guess who's going to win anything. Pretty um, much not. But uh, another big factor, um, you know, heading to the French, a lot of women, top women's players injured. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, we'll we'll talk about Muguruza. that more uh, in our preview. But yeah, Muguruza obviously pulling out in the semifinal with a neck injury. Don't really know where she's at. Obviously, she's a contender at the French. She's won it. Uh, so you'd like to say she's yeah. at least got a shot. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Wozniacki just withdrew earlier today uh, in her opening round match. Um, do you remember which tournament that Strasbourg. was? Strasbourg. I think yeah, I was thinking yeah, it was Strasbourg. in Strasbourg. Uh, and I believe that there was another uh, another top name that that withdrew earlier today as well. So obviously on the women's side, uh, we have a couple of people standing out in Svitolina and Halep as definite contenders heading into the French. But uh, we obviously now have you know several you know key names. Halep. Now Halep was nursing an injury. She she has an injury herself. Well, then that might have contributed. I did not actually see that. That yeah. may have contributed as to uh, her lack of uh, I don't want to say lack of effort, but lack of result in the final. Uh, then so so look at it there. Um, that's maybe another name off the the board there. So yeah, and you don't have Kvitova either. Kvitova is still not back yet uh, at this point. She's, she's trying trying really hard for the French. That's what I read yesterday. Yeah, trying everything she can. I just don't know. I, if... I in my opinion, if I'm Kvitova, I hold back and just make sure give a little bit more time to prep and just be ready for grass court season. Yeah. Mike, uh, I'll, I'll let you into that because oh. you would obviously agree that. Kvitova is much more uh, of a threat on the grass than she is on the clay. Before you say that, Halep has an ankle injury. It started in the second set of that match. Oh, that's right. She did. She rolled her ankle in the match. That's right. And she she did get treatment for it, but it didn't seem as though it was a factor at first. You're right. I completely forgot about that. What she said was that she started to get more and more pain. So it wasn't wasn't enough to make her limp, but it was enough to be a distraction. I, I I I stand corrected. You're right. I I completely forgot about that. Okay. Uh, I didn't watch your match. So I'm I, I am a, I am a terrible uh, analysis of uh, matches now. I, no, I, no, no, no. No, I completely forgot about that happening. Uh, it, and yes, and I, and I called you the and I called the you factor. the master of women. Look what I did. And you yeah. you completely destroyed me with with just one mention. Mike, go put your foot in your mouth right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, don't do that ever again, Mike. You completely ruined it. I did. It for I did. Me. I ruined it. Uh, <laughs> okay. So yeah, with Kvitova, I agree. When it comes to the grass season, I think that's her best bet. Um, so if I'm Kvitova, you know, I understand, right? You don't want to, you don't want to miss out on Grand Slams, any Grand Slam, even if it's the Grand Slams that you have the least uh, chance of winning. But at the same time, you got to think smart uh, in this situation and look at where you can get your best opportunities. And I think that's on the grass. If I'm her, if I want to enter something, I'm looking to enter one of the grass court tournaments here coming up in the next, you know, few weeks after, after the French open, there's going to be grass. So just continue to work hard, continue to get ready. And you know what? You could be the first players out there. One of the first player out there, one of the first players out there practicing on grass courts. Uh, Hey, you know, why don't you give uh, Roger a call? I'm sure well, she can. You know. She can practice on grass courts right now. Well, yeah, but th- she's going to be able to play up to three tournaments before Wimbledon, which right. I think would be a good idea for her because she she does get rusty. Right. Sure. Kvitova. I I think that that she's the type of player where she needs time Match. on the court. She needs, she needs matches she's, to be ready. She's like Nadal. Um. She definitely. 
I would definitely say if she's not able to at least get two tournaments under her belt before Wimbledon, I don't really look for her to be the competitive that we always see at Wimbledon. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't see her to be the big threat at Wimbledon. But it, but again, that's a little bit down the line still at this point. Yeah, so. that's yeah, definitely. Okay, um, I think that's our podcast for this week. Uh, we have, of course, a Roland Garris preview. We're not going to do that until you know next uh, next week. We're, so we're going to try and target a recording date uh, if possible. We're going to try to do it Sunday uh, first of all because mm-hmm. you know uh, the the French Open starts begin. that day, right? Do so. we do we want to try to push it to Saturday? Uh, I don't want to. Do we want to try to maybe get one out on Saturday before the tournament even starts. I don't want to guarantee it. Um, no, I'm not guaranteeing it either, but fans, we may try to do this. We might try. Yeah. We we'll, might try we'll to try. get this out prior to the, the tournament starting. Yeah, we'll, we'll, tr- yeah, we'll see what check, we can do. I'll check and see what's going on this Saturday. Who really knows? Because I don't think I have anything particularly going on. It's going to be Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I don't have a lot going on per se, but you know, Me it's, neither, so. it's hard enough to get this thing done on a Sunday, let alone, <laughs> let alone a Saturday. So we'll, we'll try. We'll see what we can uh, do. We, you can't get it. We'll have to look at our wives and say, ladies, it's right before the tournament. The tournament starts tomorrow. Yeah. We might, we need to squeeze this in. All right. So, all right. So then what I'm going to tell you is this. If you want to send in any feedback for the podcast, if you have predictions yourself, like who you think is going to, you know, win the French Open, um, I would actually say if you want to send in feedback, I mean, you can send in any feedback you want, really. It doesn't have to be about the French Open. It could be about anything and everything. Uh, but if you're looking to, you know, throw your hat in the ring, so to speak, uh, you can toss out your predictions for the French Open. And maybe if you want to make a, a top five list of the dark horses that you think could you know, maybe win the French Open outside of the one or two favorites that are slated to win. So, uh, yeah, certainly send in some feedback. You can do so by by writing in to uh, uh, tennisatticpodcast at gmail.com. All one word, all lowercase. So it's uh, you know, pretty simple. Um, yeah, so just please send in some feedback and uh, we'll be excited to, to get it. Uh, but if you're going to do that and if we do record, you want to get your your feedback in, I would say Friday. This Friday would be would be good. Uh, at the very latest, I would say try to have it in by, by noon uh, Eastern Standard Time uh, because that's – we're going to probably record somewhere around like 2 o'clock. So, you know. We're not gonna be checking it all the time. So on Friday, well, no, but, no, 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 Saturday. Even on Saturday, Saturday. If we even no, yeah. noonish Saturday yeah. Eastern Standard yeah. Time, just send it on, just yeah. last minute yeah. kind of thing. Send it on, preferably Friday. by Friday. But <laughs> I think he, I think he said yeah. preferably Friday, and then uh, yeah. Saturday by noon noonish at the lead yeah. latest. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that's it. So that's it. Our that's our podcast this week. So you know, it was a good one, a good uh, week of tennis. Of course, Rome is right before no, the French Open. Nadal lost. Don't you ever say it was a good week of tennis. Hey, we're, we are. I thought it was we, a great week of tennis, <laughs> look, listeners. Hey, I think it was a great hey, week of we tennis. Are, of look, here's the thing. We're we're tennis fans, right? We're Nadal fans, but we're tennis fans, and I know. you know we gotta 
we've what's this we stuff we've okay <laughs> what's this we stuff mike okay yes you and i so we're an adult and federer yeah. fan that's what we need to say but you know we've got to be a, i we, will fly the federer flag without <laughs> him being on court any day i'm sure you will that's why you're gonna be you're gonna be going for stan just because you have to no i'm going dominic team all the way i love his style of play and i would like to think that i play similar style to him all right i just don't hit quite as hard as he no, does not many or players do about a fifth of the top spin too. <laughs> well uh ladies and gentlemen i hit flat as a pancake most of the time yes yeah i hit very flat yeah me too um okay so <laughs> yeah i mean look we're tennis fans we're also analysts here i mean this is why we got the podcast so we have to be objective and or as objective whoa, as you whoa, can don't be. throw out that a word to me mike okay <laughs> you're assuming i do a lot of research and no i'm just kidding actually but no we do try i mean we we try to watch as much as we can lives make it difficult Definitely. You know, we, big, we definitely would watch much more tennis than... I've got a kid. you got a kid coming. Mike's got 9 million podcasts. He does. Mm-hmm. He's got a work schedule that's really odd. You're having to get up at like 1.30 in the morning. does make watching this stuff it's difficult. a little more difficult. It's difficult. So I do apologize if some of our topics don't go as in-depth as you might get somewhere like tennis.com. But we do try as best we can. Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely do. Uh, and, and hopefully during the summertime here, I'm going to get a little bit more time uh, myself to be able to provide more of an update uh, you know I try to watch some things but you never hear me mention about the women's side because I just don't have time to watch the women's but it's something I want to start trying to do so I can pitch in with Mikey okay. about some topics a little bit I more. like it Eric I like your commitment I like <laughs> so, your commitment I like it I'm gonna try you know because it, it doesn't uh I, not that I don't mind being silent, but you know, sitting here for ten minutes while you—you're the silent majority. That's what I you am. are. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, fans, just uh, you know, write in with any uh, questions you guys have, and you want us to talk about topic-wise. Mm. We may not get it to the immediate podcast uh, after you submit, but I'm sure it's something we'll be able to bring up in a following podcast. Yeah, definitely. Yes, trust us, guys, because we we actually love. Uh, getting to the feedback. That means yeah. someone listened. That's I mean, we, I like we love, yeah, we love getting <laughs> to the feedback. You can't um, provide feedback if you didn't listen to the podcast. You guys have no idea how ecstatic we are when we get f- feedback because we like to communicate with, with the people that are listening to us. So uh, by all means, submit, get those get those feedbacks in, especially with our lead up here to Roland Garros next week. No, my favorite. Yeah, definitely. Uh, feedback is, you know, I think any podcast podcaster you know, will tell you that uh, feedback is the thing they enjoy the most. They like to interact with, you know, the community, the fan base, uh, the people that listen to the podcast. You know, you're taking time out of your day to listen to what we have to say. So hopefully that means that what we have to say is actually important enough to you. So certainly... And I like I like listening to Mike getting yelled at by people. Well, there's also that. That's also fun. You know, I know I like to get yelled at all the time. But yeah, it's it's a good time though, regardless of what the feedback is. So yeah, send it in, and uh, we look forward to hearing it. So I think that's it for the podcast this week. So until the next one, have a good week, and get ready for Roland Garros.